Athletes, take your mark. Get set. It's time for the Addict to Athlete podcast. Everybody out there, Coach Lou Robinson here. Listen, thank you all for downloading, sharing, and subscribing to our Addict to Athlete podcast and the other podcasts that we host here with their minor league, the one-on-one Coach Blue, and of course, the Agents of Recovery. We thank you guys so much for downloading, sharing, and subscribing to these. Please jump on, leave us a review. We'd love to get more reviews. It helps us get this podcast out further to the individuals and families and people who truly need it. So thank you all for doing so. Our numbers are reflecting some great things happening. So thank you all so very, very much. Athletes, our 5K for National Recovery Month is open. It's happening this September on Labor Day weekend. We're going to be having an amazing run dedicated to those who may have lost their battle or continue to struggle with addiction. We call it our proxy run. On the top part of your bib number, you'll have a location to write the name of the person that you're going to run proxy for. Maybe it's a loved one who've lost their battle to addiction. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone that's still struggling that you want to run in their honor and in their name to show them that you're not giving up on them, that you haven't forgotten. You can jump on our website, addictoathlete.org, and register for that, whether it be in person here in Spanish Fork, Utah, or if it be anywhere virtually. We can send you the materials to be able to bring your group together, your family, maybe an addiction recovery program, and help bring a name to some of these people who have fallen to addiction or to show support to those who are still struggling. It's a great way to show them how much you love them, and it uh, incorporates itself through the National Addiction Recovery Month every September. So jump on addictoathlete.org. While you're there, jump on our shop. We've got lots of cool items. We've got our, our extracurricular recovery t-shirts and, and the merchandise, along with official team gear. So jump on, be part of the team. Represent your sobriety through active recovery through the Addict to Athlete online store. Great products, great shirts, great stuff. Check it out and see what you guys think. I want to give a special shout out and thanks to our Patreon subscribers. If you haven't become a Patreon subscriber yet, please do so. You can check it out at, at patreon.com slash athlete. Everybody who joins for as little as $2 a month can get you access to all of our bonus content. And we're dropping a lot of bonus content. I'm giving you all an early access peek into the Addict to Athlete Extracurricular Recovery Playbook. These are attributes that we use on Team Addict to Athlete to help strengthen your sobriety, to help maybe get you to the starting line of pursuing recovery, or maybe just some bonus content for you to overcome any kind of trauma you've experienced. Maybe if it's an addiction that doesn't quite look like a substance use, but maybe something to pornography or something of that nature, our extracurricular recovery bonus episodes will help you so much. Again, you can join for as little as $2 a month, but we have people who have picked tiers that work best for them. It accesses all kinds of free merchandise, special perks and events. And then, of course, we're going to name you all. So I want to give a special shout out to our super fans, our, our favorite people here. Jerem Thurston, Holly Davies, Scott Foster, Coach Chris Williams. Coach, you crushed that race this weekend. It was awesome to see you out there. Brett Frew, Coach Tara Butson. Coach Tara, we are doing the Salt to Saint Relay. It's coming up. I hope you're cycling and getting ready. We're going to have an awesome team. More of that to come. Steve Riggs, thank you so much. Chelsea Olson, and of course, the Warrior Within podcast and personal development by Sensei KP. Thank you so much, Sensei. Our rookie level subscribers, thank you so much. Joe Jackson, Earl Dyer, and you too, Kenny. Kenny, Kenny Roseman, thank you so much. And brother, you crushed it also. 20 miles in that race. Congratulations, man. You crushed it. I was so happy to see you out there, and it was a pleasure running with you for, for the little bit that I got to. Our pro-level subscribers, thank you, thank you, thank you. Selena Armitage, Gary Thurston, and a voice you're going to hear on this very podcast today, Josh Hansen. Thank you so much, Josh. And of course, our championship level subscribers. These are they who are donating at the highest tier. I want to give a special shout out and thanks to Shad and Freya Robison and the Robison family. 
uh, Ron and D. Loesch, thank you so much, and Tracy Whitby. Athletes, listeners, if you wouldn't mind, jump on our Patreon page. See how you can support Team Addict Athlete as we will increase our reach and be able to do more with your donations and your participation within. I like this outlet because as you donate to Team Addict Athlete through this method, you get something in return. And we really do think that the recovery content we're producing and giving to you as a bonus episode is doing great work. We also access uh, a lot of help, self-help in that forum. And so as uh, you go through the online stuff that you're getting through the Patreon program, there's a lot of homework and assignments and some accountability. And a lot of the athletes who are participating in it are finding great success in reaching out to me to help them along their journey. So thank you all so much. Patreon.com slash athlete. Okay, athletes, I'm excited today. Now, here's a cool thing. I have a podcast I wanted to post today, but then... During some uh, some old hard drive cleanouts, I discovered a podcast that I thought was lost, and it was originally recorded in uh, June sixteenth, two thousand sixteen, um, with an amazing individual. And this was brought to my attention by Josh Hansen, who phoned me and said, "Coach, I have an amazing person I want to have on your podcast. It just so happens he's going to be in the area, and you're really going to want to come meet him." And when I found out who Josh had landed for one of our Addict to Athletes first, I would say professional athletes uh, to be to be uh, recorded on the podcast, I was I was stoked. And ever since then, since 2016, I've kept in contact with this man, and I can tell you he does great things. He's called the Mayor of Running. This is the legendary Bart Yasso. And Bart, if you don't know who he is, go do a Google search. He is a legend in in uh, running and in the running community and marathoning and he has an amazing story and the cool part about this was how humble it was to be able to sit in a very intimate situation and setting to record with him and Josh and another athlete and as we were there and I got to know Bart I got to understand the significance behind what legacy he put out there for his runners that he coached his own experiences and just the heart of the level of this man who again has been labeled the mayor of running so uh, we're going to re-release this. Uh, I thought it was lost. This is from the original um, Radio Ronin. Uh, it was known as Podbash back then with special guest Josh Hansen um, as, as his uh, former podcast, The Runcast. Uh, we'll, you'll be able to hear a little bit about that. But again, I want to re-release this um, in, a, in a better format, one that won't be lost to the archives of, of uh, digital media. And I hope you enjoy it. It was fun to record, and it's awesome to hear uh, this story. And again, originally aired on uh, June 16th, 2016. So it tells you we've been doing this podcasting thing for quite a while. I hope you enjoy it. Um, and without further ado, here is uh, Coach Blue interviewing Bart Yasso and uh, our, our buddy Josh Hansen. Welcome to the Addict Athlete Podcast. I'll be your host today, uh, Coach Blue Robinson, and uh, I want to thank all of you guys who have been downloading, listening to our podcast. Uh, we've been getting a great review. It's been one of these things that uh, uh, we've seen happen uh, over and over again, and that's you know reaching out, asking questions about addiction and recovery. We hope the Addict to Athlete can be a resource for you if you're struggling with any kind of addiction, whether it be uh, alcohol, drug abuse, um, pornography, overeating, anything like that that you feel uh, is kind of weighing you down or, or keeping you stuck. We hope the Addict to Athlete can be a helpmate to you. We're excited today. Uh, we've got a couple of fantastic people here, um, one of which is uh, the Runcast podcaster. We've got Josh Hansen here. Say hello, Josh. Hey. 
And uh, Josh called me the other day and said, Blue, you'll never guess what's happened, but I've got something very amazing uh, in store for you. Can I call you? And I said, absolutely, Josh, uh, shoot away. And whenever Josh says that, something amazing is coming. Um, but he said, hey, I've got the opportunity to have uh, a living legend uh, come and be on your podcast. And uh, I'll be honest with you, Josh, I was in the grocery store when you called, and I didn't quite hear who you said till I researched it a little bit, and then I was dumbfounded. I think I texted you and said, I'm as giddy as a schoolgirl too. But uh, we're excited today to have uh, a very amazing man, uh, Bart Yasso. Say hello. Hey, hello everybody. We are so lucky to have him here. Um, Bart, you've, uh, you've uh, done some amazing things. I dove into a little bit of your Wikipedia page and some stuff that Josh sent me, and I, I knew about the runner's world, and I knew about that, but I had no idea the level of, uh, of uh, racing abilities you, you possess and what you've done. I mean, I'm, I'm dumbfounded, but uh, if you wouldn't mind maybe telling the listeners a little bit about yourself, this is a, a great opportunity for these, these new athletes who are coming up to hear a little bit about your story, and, and I think they, you are definitely someone they need to know. Sure. Thank you, Blue. Well, you know, it's interesting when I, you know to be on your show because I was an addict, I, alcohol, drugs. I did it all in my younger years, which was a big mistake. And I turned the wrong direction at an early age, the age of 13. Mm-hmm. I was already abusing drugs and alcohol massive amounts at the age of 13, which is not the way to start. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very fortunate to, to turn, make a turn when I was 21 to get away from the alcohol and drugs because uh, just recently I wrote down a list of 20 names of people that I associated with when I was in this dark time in my life and of those 20 names none of them are alive today wow and they're not a they're not an age demographic who should be passed on most of these people are would be between the ages of 59 and 61 Mm-hmm. And of that group, and I actually included mine actually after I added my name out of so if you put that if I jotted down twenty one names that I associated with, twenty of them are dead. I'm the only living one. So oh when goodness. I tell people running saved my life, that was living proof to myself that running saved my life because if I didn't make that change, I would have been on that list as being deceased. Wow. Uh, but I did change uh, i wanted to change i was fortunate enough that running played a major role in that uh it was something i just needed something positive to make that change something uh that i enjoyed and then it turned out to be something i was good at yeah. and then uh and then it literally has taken me all over the world i end up you know working at runner's world magazine yeah. uh but you know i always suppressed those early years, you know, people knew, people who knew me knew I struggled and had those problems, but I never really talked about it Mm -hmm. because one, I was embarrassed about it, uh, ashamed of it. I mean, I could go on and on, but I'm not that way anymore. I talk about it. I talk about it all the time. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed. It was ashamed of it. It was part of my life. And, you know, I overcame the addictions and the problems I had. And, uh, but I didn't want to, replace an addiction with another addiction so right. i really looked at my running as a positive mm-hmm. not an addiction mm-hmm. and uh you know i've been doing it 40 years and had a beautiful run this morning and still doing it and you, and know, you still enjoy it and i still enjoy it and you know and i meet so many people who've come from an, an addictive background that have gotten in the running and mm-hmm. i really i always remind them keep it positive keep it fun think long term you want to be doing this for life 
because yeah. we don't want to go back to that other life because it's uh, unfortunately some people have relapses yeah and have a relapse and go back to that negative lifestyle and that's not where I want to be after 40 years of living this great life literally running all over the world and uh, getting to meet some amazing people and cultures and I just feel blessed and I really wish I could have taken a selfie in 1976 when I headed out for that first run <laughs> we didn't have selfies in 1976 as you guys know but uh, you know I, I had like long hair and a beard and a beat up Budweiser t-shirt and cut off oh, jeans yeah. and kid shoes but I, went out, but I made that commitment to run one mile, and I said, this is how I'm going to change my life. I'm going to get out there and make it a mile, and then two days from now, I'm going to try two miles. <laughs> and I wasn't thinking of being a racer or a runner or a marathon runner. I was just trying to make change. Yeah, yeah, and that's exactly how it is. I mean, you say that, that you were about 13 when you first started kind of messing around in that in that kind of culture, and... That's a that's a young age. I mean, that's just yeah. right getting into you know like some pretty crucial steps and, and, and situations in, in school and things. Um, as you were going through your, your adolescence and and, and uh, you know figuring out kind of who you are and where you stood and stuff and, and uh, you know getting getting into school, what was one of those things that you you let go of in order to kind of you know move from kind of that, that carefree kind of kid age to that thirteen year old? What's some of the stuff that you left behind that you kind of, like, dare we say, lost the innocence? Yeah, I mean, number one thing would be my family. Mm -hmm. Like, you disassociate from your immediate family because, you know, well, they don't want want to be around you, and I don't want to be around them. And that's the saddest thing. I mean, I had, I was a fortunate kid. You know, we had seven kids. I was one of seven, but Mm. we had a small house, but we had a nice home, Mm -hmm. and I had great siblings, and I had nice parents, but... You know, when you choose drugs and alcohol over your family, mm-hmm. that's when this separation happens, and it just it it just causes trouble. You can't live Not, in both those worlds, can you? Yes, you cannot. And that's the biggest thing would be, you know, my family. And I do remember, uh, you know, when I was 19 or 20, when, when someone came to me and said, you know, my mother was really concerned for my life and what I was doing. And then that's one of those those defining moments when I realized I only thought I was hurting myself mm-hmm. but I realized I was hurting others and I could not do that to my mom and that was definitely one of those crucial points where I realized I cannot continue this lifestyle right because I'm not just hurting myself I'm hurting everyone who cared about me mm-hmm. including my family my siblings and my mom but it was really you know I was pretty tight with my mom and that uh, that really hit home when she made a conscious effort to tell someone to tell me how much she was hurting over my lifestyle. Had to go through someone to get to you. It's kind, yeah. of, it's kind of a heartbreaker there. You know, in this bio that Josh sent me, I thought it was an excellent written piece. I'm not exactly sure, Josh, where you found that. But there was one statement in there that talked about how when you were in your in your early 20s, um, you had a friend that uh, was it's injured in, after, after a night of drinking. And you were in a hospital kind of looking at him thinking, God, is this really where my life's going to go? And, yeah. you know, is that kind of where you started to contemplate that there's got to be a change because of the way life was going? Absolutely. I mean, that was a big wake-up call. My dear friend, Michael Johnson, who was my best friend as, as a kid, who recently passed away when I mm. did that list of people. And he was the reason why I did that list, because I got a message oh. from uh, his sister that he passed away. And he's been in, he's been in a 
home since 1977 in a, like a care facility because wow. he had that accident and really couldn't take care of himself. And he's been in there since 1977 and just passed away a couple months ago. Mm. And uh, But yeah, when I saw, you know, I was, Michael and I did the same thing every day. We really? drank too much. We smoked too much. We did everything wrong. Mm -hmm. And, you know, unfortunately on Christmas Eve, he, you know, had way too much to drink and wandered out into, in front of the path of a car. Uh, you know, it's totally his fault and his car hit him and... He ended up in the hospital, and when I saw him in that hospital bed with tubes everywhere and like clinging for life, I, you know, I just looked at him and said, "That's me. Okay. You know, I'm next. Mm -hmm. I do the same thing he does every day." And it was a real like another one of those defining moments. Yeah. And uh, I said, you know, I, I have to. And at that point, I started making slight changes because of you know for my mom and things like that, but I wasn't perfect. Yeah, but I think yeah. when I saw Michael, that was really like, if you use that term, the final straw—the straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah, that was really. I was looking in the mirror, even though I was looking at my best friend. I was looking at myself also. You put, your, thought, yeah, put yourself in that's, your shoes. That's going to be me, and I don't want to do that. And you know, I feel for Michael. I, you know, it was very sad. Mm -hmm. uh, but it really, you know, I thought about it night after night after night. Mm -hmm. And uh, I made that change. You know, I think sometimes, and I work with, with folks that have this issue too, at the very beginning, um, they, again, they, they don't think that anything like that could ever happen. They think they're 10 feet tall and bulletproof. And, you know, when, when we do have these situations right now, Bart, we've had this, this epidemic in Utah and in Utah County specifically where we're losing people left and right to this, this heroin. And over the last couple of weeks, we've lost several that I've been really close with. And it's, it's hard to see these, these young, these young ones, you know, considering myself a little older now, but these 20 years olds, you know, and, and 30 year olds that are now dying from this heroin that's mixed with fentanyl. And it's, they're, they're cashing in their chips before they ever have a chance to even live the stuff that they're missing out. And, um, one thing that that's hard for them is to see the, the potential danger in it. You know, right. they don't, they think, well, it's just a night of drinking or it's just a night of recreational using, you know, there'll be no problems with it. And I think sometimes they forget that, that the body's fragile. You know, yes. I mean, the body, it really is fragile. And we can put it through tremendous punishment as we're running and as we're working out. But really, you know, it, it's it's a fragile thing we've got to take care of. Life is frail and life is short. Life is short even if you live a full life. Mm -hmm. And someone dying in their 20s never had a chance. Yeah. But I think what I see in the people I meet, you know, in society, these people are looked at as criminals and bad people and i know so many of them are great people mm -hmm. drugs is their only problem if mm -hmm. they can just disassociate from drugs get off the drugs they're going to live a great life and be a very good citizen and help people and do all the right things but they they can't make that break and yeah. it breaks my heart because i know they're good people and drugs are the thing that takes them to this awful place. Yeah, and you know, and that's what I've seen. You're spot on. That's exactly what I've seen with some of the athletes that I've been coaching as through recovery and, and in running and whatnot, is that they get this uh, this sense that uh, they're covering some kind of pain, something hurts, and so they found this drug or this this substance that works, and then we come along these professionals and then we say, ah, uh -uh, that's you know, no more using that, and they don't know if that's removed. Well, what do you fill that void with? 
um, you found running to fill some of that void. I, yeah. I, I found recreation being a huge aspect to this recovery process. And you made you made a leap of faith. You found some shoes, laced them up, and decided to go. <laughs> yeah. How how was that transition that you made from literally from addict to athlete? Yeah, I mean, you know, I look back and think, you know, heading out for that first run and then really committed to do you remember to, that I, oh yeah i do yeah. remember it very well yeah because i thought wow a mile is a long way to run and you know <laughs> yeah. eventually i ran a race that's 146 miles Ooh. and 50 miles and 100 miles and all kinds of races but i thought man how do you make it a mile without stopping but i did and uh you know but barely and then you know i just improved little by little but i just remember how good i felt and I was making that transition to, you know, to get off the alcohol and not waking up, you know, after a hard night of drinking. And, uh, you know, I was actually feeling good mm-hmm. about myself. And it, what happened was the running played a role in every other part of my life, how right. I felt. Everything was more positive after that. My relationship with my family, my work, everything changed to the better. Mm-hmm. And I could have never predicted that, you know, if if someone told me after I did that one one mile run 40 years ago, if someone would have said, oh, you'll get a job at Runner's World, you'll be one of the most famous runners in the United States, you'll run all over the world, I would have told them, I, you're crazy, no I, I just hope someday I can run two miles, you mm-hmm. know, but it happened, so, you know, I use this tagline, never limit where running could take you, and I mean mm. that physically yeah. geographically spiritually emotionally i challenge people to use running to improve their life not just their running life mm-hmm. all aspects of their life because if you're a better person it's gonna reflect on everything you do absolutely and that's i'm glad you mentioned that as well because the one thing that uh, i have a hard time trying to convince these these folks of who are in recovery is that they're not just addicts. Most of these guys identify themselves as addicts. Oh, hello, I'm blue, I'm an addict. And that statement just, just irks me to, to no end because we're more than that. You know, we're, we're fathers, we're sons, we're brothers, we're scholars, we're athletes. And yeah, we're addicts, but it's not who we are, it's a part of us. And when I started training these athletes just to do these small little runs, they began to identify themselves as athletes and as runners. Mm-hmm. And that switch that they said, hey, I'm something more. I'm something bigger. I'm, I can now hold conversations about what kind of shoes I'm wearing and what races are coming up. They don't have to talk about substance use and recovery. It's like they they literally like changed their perception on on who they are, which is a total transformation. You've done that. You went from this yep. guy who couldn't run a mile to a man who who's ran Badwater. I saw. Yep. I've been out there. That's a, that's that's insane. Yeah. That's brutal. Badwater back when I was 146 miles. Uh, thank God I did that in my younger days. But yeah, it was quite a challenge, but something I was able to do. And and none of this stuff would have been possible if I didn't make that change. Mm-hmm. And then you know I did train uh, a group of addicted runners or addicted uh, people. That yeah, tell me about use, that. Yeah, so. I always felt that, you know, okay, it's easy to coach people who are already running. I can give them some tips and some workouts, and, you know, they're already in the sport and immersed in it. But I really wanted to challenge a group that, you know, when I was in my office, I said, okay, I want a group of runners that right now aren't running, never think they could be a runner, and I want to turn them into a runner. Brilliant. And that's where I got, I went to this place called the Keenan House in Allentown, Pennsylvania, close to our Runner's World office and walked in and talked to the director about I want to train 
a group of people to do a relay race, <laughs> and he just thought I was out of my mind. But he said, you know, there's something. I want, I'm going to give you a try. I'm going to let you do it. So, you know, I would take. Now they were in this uh, recovery place because they were habitual criminals. Most of their problems were drugs, mm -hmm. uh, but they already had three uh, criminal records, and this was their their rehab before they get. They're released from prison. Three they go into this house. Yeah, mm -hmm. and now they have to prove themselves before they're back in society. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I trained with them twice a week and really got to know them. And I knew they were good people. Mm -hmm. that drugs were their only problem. If they could just stay off the drugs, mm -hmm. they could do well. But train them for this relay race. And then when they did the relay race, the mm -hmm. coolest thing was they proved to themselves yeah. that they wanted to make change and that they were willing to go out there and push it. And I never, you can't, I really didn't know how much the running could, community would embrace them. So yeah. when they did that relay race, all the runners were coming up to them, hugging them, cheering for them. And they were taken back because the rest of society looked at them as bad, evil mm -hmm. people. Yeah. And the runners were looking at them like, these guys are willing to make the change. They're going to use running as a way to make their life better. What you got to do is encourage them exactly. and cheer for them. And mm -hmm. that's what happened. And they kept saying to me, how do they know us? And I said, well, you guys were in the newspaper yesterday. It was a big story. And I said, <laughs> look around. Everyone's dressed like a runner, but you guys look like, you know, you had the long shorts and the high socks. And I said, you know, you guys stand out from the typical they, runner. They can tell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I said, the bottom line is they're happy for you. So just take it all in and just go out. You know, you, you did it. And I remember this one guy, he was a pretty buffed out guy. Like he lifted a lot of weights in his day and he had tattoos everywhere. He looked like, you know, a pretty tough guy. Well, he was the one that broke down. He was crying like a baby. Oh, I love it. He actually, uh, he got on a phone on a payphone back then when we used payphones and someone dropped a <laughs> bunch of quarters in a payphone for him and he called his mom and said that he did this race and he was so excited and Oh my God! It's you know, he was crying like a baby, but that. all in a good way because mm -hmm. he really realized that he doesn't have to live that bad lifestyle. He can make the change, and that was hopefully, you know, I I, I stay in touch with two of those uh, athletes from that group, uh, but I couldn't stay in touch with all of them. But right. but I hope he's doing well today. I really don't know, but I know he did very well that day, mm -hmm. and it was it was pretty cool to see. But yeah. it is that. Amen. community that rallied around them and uh you know being uh, i kept thinking of being in their shoes like mm -hmm. no one would wants to be around you you're known as a drug addict and uh, thrown in jail and in a halfway house and all this stuff and you know yeah but here they were out there running free uh being happy being encouraged and being part of society see and, and that changed perfect. their perception of yeah. who they are and their potential what they could do See, and I love that. I, you know, I, I'm a firm believer that the great minds think alike, so I, I, I consider myself lucky to be following in your footsteps to a degree, not knowing that you'd done that, because that's the exact same thing, Bart, that I, I found out here. One of the neatest things is that um, addict to athletes become so established out here in the Utah County and Utah Valley area 
that uh, people recognize them and they say, hey, addict to athlete. Yeah. And they glow, they beam. It <laughs> gives them an opportunity cool. to talk about their recovery. And yeah. they've noticed, and I've noticed, when you're running, you can't wear headphones in addict to athlete because everyone wants to talk to you. Right. And it does. It pulls them out of their comfort zone and they're talking about recovery. And inevitably, every person that stops these guys and wants to talk to them says, hey, I have a relative that has an addiction, or my dad was an addict, or right. I struggled with addiction. Everyone on this face of this earth has someone that they know that struggles with addiction. And so it's the most amazing thing, it's like you said, to have these people cheer for them and to thank them for being a part of this and to see that change is possible so that they can have hope then in their loved one that struggles. One of the fun things about Addict to Athlete that we've done is we've brought, we call them the muggles, the, non, the non-using folk. Yep. <laughs> we bring them in and they, they recreate together. And I saw this, this bridge being built and it was the most bizarre thing because, again, traditionally you want to keep you know, those two groups separate. But I found that not to be the case when they can learn from each other. And so now we have these people that have never had addictions at all that maybe have loved ones that now recreate, coach, and, and learn from the people that did and they become normal people. It just becomes right. a normal thing, much like what you discovered out there. It's just a normal thing. Yeah, they actually become great examples of mm-hmm. uh, what society will do if you're willing to make the change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, again, it's not an easy thing, and you blue, you live it every day. I mean, you you know, it is tough to convince people to make change sometimes, and, mm-hmm. uh, and they call it addiction for a reason because people get on these drugs. These drugs are so powerful. Yeah, it's not that easy to make that break. But mm-hmm. I'm telling you, the the power of the support system, the acceptance, that's a big part of it. Like mm-hmm. that's where we can get people to make change, accept them into the fold, encourage yeah. them, don't degrade them. Exactly. And that's when we can make change. Well, yeah. Well, it's, it's that inner pain they're dealing with. And I think sometimes people forget that. Because just down the street, listeners, we're not too far away from the Utah State Prison where just uh, several weeks ago I was able to go in there and speak to the, the Conquest program and run a very exclusive 5K. They don't let everyone run that one. And uh, as I was running with these, these inmates, um, one of them made a comment to me that I've never felt so free. You know, And he made mention that his race bib number meant more to him obviously than his his prisoner id number that he was wearing and you know these are people that have made mistakes and you know society we can drive by on the freeway here and look over at the prison and see them and and judge them but we can remember that there we're one mistake away from joining them right and so one of the biggest things with addict to athlete that i hope the listeners hear with with what you're saying is, is that change is possible and change takes effort and change takes support and in order to do that we have to look past some of the mistakes and look at the heart of, of the athlete, of the person themselves. So, Bart, let's, let's switch gears just a little bit. You've, uh, you know, you probably get asked this question all the time about all the races and things you, you've done and, and whatnot. And we were talking just a little bit about this before we started, and that was, what do you think in your own in your own pursuits, in your own investment, in your own recovery and healing process? You become an elite runner of your own. What do you think makes these people that uh, struggled with addiction become such amazing athletes? You know, and they're out there running these marathons, these ultra marathons, and the pain starts kicking in. What do you, what do you see? What have you found that makes these athletes world class? Yeah, and I, and you know, I met a lot of ultra runners that were addicted earlier parts in their their life, and now they're killer trail runners and ultra runners, and or just marathoners. Mm-hmm. Uh, I find that, you know, they have that, that addictive personality. Uh, so, you know, if they can turn it to something good, they're willing to make, you know, they're willing to work at it. Uh, but, I, but I really think once they, 
once they get away from whatever addiction they had, they really look at the health benefits, the fun they're having, the camaraderie, the friendships, mm-hmm. the, you know, that's really what I think keeps them in the sport. And that's what drives them to be really good at it because it's kind of like giving a second chance. Yeah. Like a lot of them realize that if they didn't make that change, if they didn't commit to running, they may not ever get away from the addiction. And that's mm-hmm. what's going to kill them. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, they overdose or, you know, rob to get money to get drugs and get killed. You know, there's so many bad things that can happen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if they can, if, I think when they really realize how lucky they are, they don't take the running for granted and they really push to become great athletes. And it's, and it's powerful. You know, it's that, uh, it's that reward. Running is such a pure sport. Mm. There's no shortcuts. You can't, you know, the, the, I always say the hard work you do is your reward. The numbers on that clock, when you go across that finish line and they're absolutely, you know, you can, have the fanciest shoes and the fanciest running clothes and the fanciest diet out there or whatever it is. But the bottom line, there's no shortcut. You have to do the hard work. It's Mm -hmm. a very rewarding sport. And you know, it's, you're, you're only judged by the hard work you do. Yeah. So if you go out there and do the hard work and are willing to push it on race day, you are rewarded by those digits on that clock when you go across that finish line. And that's, that's pretty special. You know, and sometimes my athletes, they have a hard time with the day-to-day training. They love the races. Mm-hmm. They love the fanfare. They love the medals. They love all that stuff. Yeah. But trying to get them to train sometimes is a little bit difficult because there's not a lot of fanfare. There's not a lot of yeah. you know, hoorays. And sometimes you have to be your own cheerleader. I'm curious what kind of advice you give because you, you, do, you do a lot more training than you ever will do racing. <laughs> yeah. What kind of stuff would you, uh, you know, help coach these athletes to get through some of those harder training days? Yeah, I... You know, I get a lot of motivation questions from people. Mm-hmm. How do you stay motivated? How, how do you keep doing this after 40 years and, and still enjoy it as much as I did 40 years ago? And, uh, you know, the people I coach, oh, I, you know, some days I just don't want to go out there and do it. And I always just tell them you've got to think of two things. Look, how lucky you are physically to be able mm-hmm. to be a runner. And we have this physical ability. You have to use it. Yeah, and then I always remind them culturally how lucky we are that mm. they're embraced in this country, and you have the facilities to do the stuff we do, mm-hmm. and that you're encouraged to run free, whether you're, you know, <laughs> yeah. in Salt Lake City or in Topeka, Kansas, or in Bangor, Maine. I mean, we are really lucky. I mean, I've traveled the world, and I see still see many societies that are suppressed from sport, mm. whether it's based on religion or ethnic background, you know, there's suppression that still goes on. Gender plays a role in some countries. And, you know, in America, we are really pretty lucky. Yeah. Uh, culturally, you know, that you can really run free anywhere in our country. Mm-hmm. And as you and this people, you know, a gentleman say he really felt like he was running free, even though he was behind bars yeah. in a prison. Yeah. But for that moment, putting on that bib number and doing 3.1 miles felt like he was free. Mm-hmm. That's pretty powerful. And I always remind people of that. I said, if you keep things in perspective and just think physically how lucky you are that you can do this, mm-hmm. just go out and do it. Gratitude is where it's at. That's the final thing I always say to myself when I head out for a run. I'm so grateful I can do this. Mm. And then 
every run is easy. You know, I'm glad you made mention of that too, because one thing that Addict Athletes done that I never thought was, was possible, it's funny how these guys continue to shock you with the things that they, they can do, but uh, Addict Athlete was part of a, a fundraising uh, program for one of our special needs kids. Uh, his name's Reese. You know, you know Reese real well. Reese has um, disabilities and cerebral palsy. I'm not exactly uh, sure. I, Reese sure. yeah. has got some pretty severe disabilities, but the kid just glows. And so his mom, uh, Carla, approached uh, my brother-in-law, Heath, and through some amazing, you know, I guess, circumstances and, and situations, we were able to raise enough money to get him a racing wheelchair through the Hoyt Foundation. Mm-hmm. And uh, our athletes had had turns pushing Reese in these, in these, in these races. And, you know, the very first time one of our athletes got behind the, 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 the wheel in the wheelchair, I was thinking, is is Carla going to trust these guys? You know, are they going to, she going to say, you're taking the most precious cargo, you know, and you're a recovering addict. Can I trust you? And, and that's what they said, you know, the freedom, that the, the ability that they have to use their legs. They've never run faster. They've never run with more purpose than they give back. And, and that link between, you know, a little bit of a purpose and, and being able to do that, it's, it literally has changed many athletes' lives to say, I was killing my body. I was disabling my, my ability mm-hmm. to do this. And this, this kid, he didn't choose to do it, but he's here. And, and that aspect alone, Bart, you're right. It's, it's changed their perception on, on, you know, what they're doing it for. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. So Josh, you're, you're here. I want to have you pipe in just a little sure. bit as we get into here. No, I've, I've, I've been loving the story and just listening, being able to be an observer, but yeah, so you know, you're you're sitting back listening, and I want to pull you in because you know, you just a couple of weeks ago had an experience with addict to athlete, and and yes. uh, you know them running running in, and, and no athlete finishes alone, and and I thought that was really amazing. As you sit back and you hear what Bart's talking about and what we're discussing, what's what's some of your thoughts on on some of this? Well, you know, I I actually was kind of thinking of two things. You know, when you were talking, when Bart was talking about um, when he first went out for a run, I was thinking about the first time that I. I, I went out uh, and raced. Uh, mm-hmm. This was actually seven, seven years. Yeah, seven years ago in a couple of in a couple of days. Wow. It was a ten k, and I mean this this is how like oblivious I was. It was a ten k, and I had some friends that wanted me to run it. I was at my heaviest weight, about four hundred pounds, and mm-hmm. you know I think I'm not exactly sure why I got invited other than hey let's you know help Josh with you know some weight loss goals and that and so I agreed um, my training pretty much consisted of um, a mile and a half on a treadmill and I think half of that was at a crawl watching the TV in the gym mm-hmm. um, I had no idea what I was getting myself into I didn't know how many miles a 10k was I was thinking you know maybe a few miles or whatever but I actually, uh, I got to the starting line and I kind of realized it was 6.2 miles. Oh, yeah. Um, and I started running and it hurt. It hurt bad. Uh, but you know what? I, I kept going. There was something within me that just said, I can do this. Um, and, you know, I, I ran, I walked, I walked <laughs> and I walked. You got there. Um, but I got there even after I had, uh, the race director and a police officer <laughs> ask if I wanted to ride to the finish line, but no, I That's said, you know, I thing. started this, I'm going to, you know, I can do this. Um, and I remember getting to the finish line 
you know, they had just awarded all of the medals and everything because this was part of the uh, Utah Summer Games. Mm-hmm. So they had that ceremony, and then everybody turned towards me as they saw the last runner coming in. And I can't tell you how that changed my perspective. Um, That, holy cow, I came in last and these, you know, real runners, you know, um, are cheering me on. Um, That changed a lot. And I just, I I remember, I, I look back on that, like, I didn't start really running, running until about three years after that, mm-hmm. when I started making those changes that I needed to make um, in my life, losing you know the weight and and, and putting things in line and in perspective. But mm-hmm. that moment just, I think, really is what has kept me running and going. Well, and you say that, Josh. You say that at one of your heaviest, you were around four hundred. And to me, I don't know you like that. So to me, I think that's there's no way. You know, um, there's absolutely no way. And, and reading, you know, Bart's story and, and some of the stuff you've done, I'd look at you and think, you had an addiction? No way, you know? I mean, what's it like now when you we get so far away from where we once were? Um, you know, we don't ever want to go back to those situations. You know, where's the, what's the motivation to, to, to stay and to keep pursuing your goals, Josh, and to make sure that you never return back there because it was, it was no fun living in that world. No, you know, my addiction, my addiction was, was food. And mm-hmm. it was pornography. Mm-hmm. And basically what I was doing with those two things is I was numbing myself. Mm-hmm. I was numbing myself away, uh, numbing myself from disappointments in my life, um, from hurt in my life. And I wasn't giving my chance, my, I wasn't giving myself the chance right. to live mm-hmm. and, and to feel it's fine. It you know I've had to learn that it's okay and it's fine to feel pain. Oh yeah. It's you know that's life. You know there are so many ups and downs in life that you know you have to experience because if you don't if you don't experience experience that you're not going to be able to enjoy those 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 sweet moments. The good that moments. It brings. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I, I look at it when I started running, you know, I, there have been many times that, um, I've run into situations where I knew, you know, three or four years before that probably would go into a cycle of eating or pornography or whatever that was. You know, my mom was diagnosed and went through uh, breast cancer treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, my first reaction when, uh, when we got the news, I went for a run. Hmm. I went for a run yeah. to basically process everything. Right. And um, that helped me through that. When my, when my grandma passed away, I went and, and I ran. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt, I cried, <clears throat> I laughed. You know, I, yeah. I, I went through those emotions and I did not block them how I, I would previously. Yeah, and you, you, know, you talk about pain, and that's a motivator because no one wants to be in pain. And, and Bart, in that article that Josh sent me, um, it was kind of given a, a little bit of an account when you were in Africa and uh, you were experiencing some of the Lyme disease issues. And you, you, you made a mention in there, and I loved it because you said, you know, my high tolerance for pain kind of kept some of that stuff out <laughs> of the yeah. forefront of my mind, you know, Sometimes not experiencing or feeling pain can be a bad thing, can't it? Yeah, yeah. Actually, having a high pain threshold actually came back to haunt me because the doctor said, how can you not have 
come to our doctor's <laughs> office as sick as you were. And I just kept saying, oh, I'll get over it. I can, I can handle this pain. I was laying in bed with 104 fever and then Bell's palsy set in and then I had all this paralysis on the right side of my body and I'm in East Africa in a hospital in Tanzania and then I end up Jeez. in a hospital in Kenya and you know that doctor he was such a nice guy he was caring for me for five days in uh, the hospital in Kenya and he came to me and said we cannot we don't know what's causing this you have to go to the U.S. and get help because I really fear you're going to die right in front of my eyes mm. and you're a young guy and I don't want that to happen and man I was at the airport in no time and flew into the U.S. and got in the hospital and uh you know, yeah but even when you arrived in the U.S. you were still traveling uh, for hours uh, I read your story I'm like yeah, Bart I, go to the hospital I uh, know I should have gone right to the hospital but <laughs> I went going. into the office and then oh, yeah it was crazy you stopped I, by I a know. work before you went to the hospital uh, I know my <laughs> colleagues always tell me how crazy I am uh but you know, I don't know. It just is one of those things. But eventually, I did get care, and the thank thanks for to thank you for the medical community that helped mm-hmm. me out and got me healthy again. But uh, yeah, that pain threshold, and I think I have a high pain threshold from some of the problems going through addiction, where yeah. you you are really disconnected from most people because they don't want to be around you, and that's mm-hmm. where you build that wall and I can yeah Mm -hmm. and I can handle this pain and all this stuff and it's actually it was a lot of emotional pain that I was going through as much as physical pain Uh, and that's where I think I got that high pain threshold Mm -hmm. but uh but I mellowed out at age 60 right now I I don't uh, (laughs) now you feel like yeah I don't have that pain threshold anymore and uh you know I back off when I'm in pain and and I understand it all now, the yeah. emotional pain that I went through. And, uh, you know, you can put things, as you get older, you have a different perspective on things. And you can really look at the big picture of life a little bit better at age 60 than when I was at age 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a little bit different. But, yeah, That's runners tend to have a high pain, pain threshold. And sometimes it comes back to, to haunt you. It will. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's that's the amazing thing too. I mean, you know, you talk, talk about Badwater being 146 miles, and to me, that's that's amazing because when we did it at 135, I thought that's enough. I can't imagine going any more past that. <laughs> but our team did that a couple of years ago. In fact, we just talked about it in our last podcast with uh, Jerem Thurston, but he was an athlete that did this down there a couple of years ago, 2013, and and uh, he was in severe pain, lost 14 pounds in in the first 40 miles, Whoa. and. He was experiencing some pain, and we had to literally like like convince him to stop because he didn't want to disappoint the addict athlete team. And it's one of those things where if we ignore that pain, you know, whether it be physical or emotional, it's gonna bite us. And that's the body's you know defense mechanism saying, yep. "Hey, something's amiss here. Something's wrong." And uh, we we missed a lot of the signs because he was trying to power through it and. You know, we talked a little bit about the difference between the uh, the DNF and the DNS. You know, we'd mm-hmm. much rather have a do not finish than a do not start. And um, sometimes I think that gets my athletes in trouble too because, you know, they'll they'll start having some stress fracture problems, but right. they they want to keep going, so they'll they'll run on it and whatnot. And uh, you know, because again, their their pain tolerance is so high, they can push through these things. So Josh, you bring up an excellent point. Um, you know, I'm just I'm just curious. It's, it's it's neat to hear how you guys have have, have dealt and cope with that because significantly, uh, this problem is what brings both of my athletes to their knees is is the pain. You know, Josh, I think it's amazing that your first instinct was to go running when you got the news and to, and to do that kind of stuff. You know, 
And then there's times when you can't go running, you have to face it. And, you know, those are, I think, are the defining moments in our lives when we know that uh, we can hit these challenges because we've, we've done them before. We've hit those mountain peaks. We've, we've gone 135 miles through Death Valley. We've done these big runs. So, you know, that hurts, but it doesn't hurt as much as this. And so we can, we can cope with these kind of things. So on Team Addict Athlete Bar, we have these 18-year uh, and younger groups. We call it the Addict Athlete Minor League. And we have these kids now that are beginning to, to heal with their parents. These parents, you know, come into the program struggling with addictions and alcohol and problems that, that just are devastating to their family system. And then all of a sudden now, what I found was that these athletes trusted our program enough to bring their kids. So now we start seeing these kids that are, you know, my son's here today and he goes out and runs with us all the time. And, and uh, we see this family system now where these families are beginning to heal together through recreation and whatnot. You made mention in that article that I read about one of your first uh, your first couple of, of races were to, to beat your brother and to, yeah. to show him kind of, hey, I can hang with you. <laughs> we have a, 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 an athlete on our team. His name is Jed Jensen. You know Jed real well. And he has a brother named Josh. And when I read that, that part of your story, um, it resonated with me because that's kind of how Jed and Josh were. Uh, you know, Josh was an, a pretty good runner. He was strong. Jed kept trying to beat him. They just both finished the, the 50 miler yesterday, a Squaw Peak 50, and it's awesome to see this, this family running together. You use a little bit of that motivation to kind of say, hey, look, I, I can hang here. And that's what Jed did, too. Uh-huh. You know, he wanted to kind of claim his, his, I guess, spot on the mantle. Um, how, much, how much of that, uh, that running with your brother and stuff, did, did any of your other family members keep active with you? Or are they all just like, oh, you're crazy? And No, my whole family would run. And, uh, you know, after I started doing all this running stuff, you know, and then when I did races like Boston Marathon and New York City Marathon, it would be headlines in the local paper. You know, my whole family started running. But it was my brother George who challenged me in that first race, and uh, he beat me. <laughs> and then we had another challenge and I beat him and then you know a couple months later I was able to spot him two or three minutes and still beat him in a in a, in a race but awesome. but he was what he did for me like he he sensed and knew that I could be a good runner mm-hmm. but he wanted me to he didn't want to hand it to me he wanted me to do the hard work but he kind of guided me and he knew that uh, you know if he could beat me that that would really fuel the fire because mm-hmm. he was a bigger guy and he played football <laughs> and he was a great athlete but I just didn't think he could run as fast as, fast as I could in the distance race so I was convinced I could beat him but he he mowed me down after five miles in that first 10 kilometer race I did that's great and that second one I beat him barely and then uh you know eventually I got a lot faster than, than he ever did but but it, we always you know I always say he he really was that he taught me, and even though he wasn't a teacher by trade, he was really a good teacher, and he knew. He couldn't hand it to me, he couldn't do the work for me, but he could guide me and, uh, you know, give me that fuel to, to fire me up to, to really take my running to another level. And he kept telling me, I, I could be a really good runner if I make the commitment. That's and awesome. I didn't believe it as much as he did, but, you know, after... We raced each other, and then I really started doing the races. Then I started to believe, mm-hmm. and that's when the change really happens. Once you believe in yourself, mm-hmm. uh, so I owe it to him that really got me to that point where I started to believe in myself. I was very fortunate. He was a 
great older brother and more like a father figure to me, uh, more than an older brother. That's awesome. You know, as we start moving towards wrapping this up, I'm curious for both of you, uh, um, you know, you just kind of talked a little bit about your brother being kind of a mentor to you, but I'm curious if there is someone that stuck out there for both of you, Josh, for Bart, um, that really you could, you would define as this person was my mentor. I kind of emulated this individual or because Bart, you are, you are an inspiration to millions and just, it's amazing to see these people that, uh, look up to you just simply because you're, you're amazing. You're, you're, you take time, like, like even sitting here with us today, you take the time to talk about your passions and to give back. And, you know, you're a mentor to, to, to thousands, if not millions. And I'm curious, you know, who are your, who are your mentors? Who are the people that you look up to, sure. um, to emulate their behavior? Maybe Bart, can we go first? Yeah. So, you know, in my earlier life, it was my mother and my brother, George, uh, who were my biggest supporters and stuck with me through the dark times. And then, you know, it was fun to be alongside them in the good times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and today it is, it's the easiest thing. It's, the running community. Mm. I mean, I get inspired by the entire running community. I am so lucky that 40 plus weekends out of the year, I'm at a finish line of a race. Sometimes I get to run these races, but most of the time I'm doing race announcing or giving out awards or greeting people at the finish. So I meet these amazing stories, these people that are battling cancer, they get their chemotherapy on Friday, they run a marathon on Sunday. How, How can they do that? Right. People running on two prosthetic limbs to go out there and just defy logic. They even get to the starting line and then they go out and finish the race. Mm-hmm. And I always tell people that's the one part of my job that people, uh, you can't see that from the outside, the emotional part. Because I right. really get attached to these people. Because they come up to me and they say I inspire them. And I'm like, no, 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 you guys inspire me. You do I me, don't yeah. Want I could ever have done to inspire you, but, you know, so the, the entire running community inspires me because it is 99.9% really good people yeah. that care about everyone else. You know, their running is important to themselves. They want to be healthy. They want to be a runner, but mm-hmm. they really care about the other runners. I've and noticed that. Joshua knows that from when he finished that first race because <laughs> yes. everyone could have gone home. Everyone yes. could have left, but they didn't yeah. because... We know there are these stories at the back of the pack, and we have to be there when they come in. Because otherwise, it could have been a negative thing when you come in. If you come in and nobody's there, you know, and nothing's happening, you're like, mm-hmm. okay, I don't, I'm never going to do this again. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no cars in the parking lot. There's no people here. Or, you know, nobody cares. But that's not what happened. The exact opposite happened, and that's that's what changes people forever. Yep. Yeah, it does. So, Josh, who, who for you? Who have you felt? Uh, you know, thinking back to, to everything, I, a couple really kind of jump out to me. One is my uh, scoutmaster, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, who made me, made me do my uh, personal fitness merit badge. Nice. Um, mm-hmm. Which involved running. Brilliant. Um, and it, it was, I think, just maybe, a, I don't even think it was a mile and a half or something like that. Um, that really pushed me, um, you know, I, I mean, it took years after that to kind of get into the swing of things, but, uh, looking back on that now, uh, I've learned a lot of principles as far as, you know, testing your limits and, mm-hmm. and just doing it. Um, and then also my mother, I mean, I, I know yeah. that kind of sounds a little cliche, Not at but all. my mother, um, is one of the most encouraging, uh, people I know. She never told me that I couldn't do something or that I can't do something. 
Um, she let me learn um, by trial and error. And, you know, there, I, there's a, a deeper, you know, story into that. But she always has believed in me. She's been the biggest fan. Uh, you know, when I started losing the weight, uh, when I would uh, race, I mean, she would, every time I'd come home from a race, uh, you know, how did you do? Did you, you know, um, you know, the first couple times it was, did you win? Did you <laughs> win? I yeah. had to explain to her how it worked. Um, <laughs> but she, she, and being there at the finish line as well in a couple of those races, um, has meant the world to me. Like when I ran, my, I bet when I ran my, um, my 100th, uh, race over, 13.1 because I have a goal of running 180 uh, races before I'm 40. Gonna catch up to Bart over here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I have quite a, I had quite a few more races. <laughs> um, she was she was there the first one to greet me, um, and you know she gave me this big big hug, and in the only way that my mother you know could congratulate me, she threw a pie in my face. Brilliant. Um, I love it. And just that kind of. Uh, relationship we have but you know and, and then going back and exactly with you know what bart was saying with the running community the running community especially here in utah mm-hmm. motivates me more than anything and I, and I get the same thing that you know you motivate me you know so much and i said no no i'm like it's the same reaction no yeah. you have no idea how much you motivate me to keep running you know every weekend especially from like may until october i mean there's a race every week every weekend that that you can that you can find i just love being out there with with everybody i love that we're so supportive we're so supporting and everybody has a story it's beautiful and i love that especially when i'm pacing i love just listening to the stories mm-hmm. and and I always will ask one question why do you run and you never know where that's gonna lead yeah everyone's different and it's every and it's different but you meet some amazing people and that just motivates you to keep on going that's amazing you know so. you know for me guys it, it really it's, it's kind of the same you know with the athletes they inspire me um, you know there for a while when we were a small group I could still beat them not anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know, so being the coach, you know, and, and not a player at times is kind of fun. But I love going out there and running with them. And you know, for me, being a therapist and 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 you know, counseling these guys and my ecclesiastical responsibilities here and and uh, you know, being a parent, you know, my my solace comes running alone. I like to be by myself. Mm-hmm. And and sometimes that causes some problems because I got a lot of amazing athletes that want to go run with Coach Blue, but. For me, that's that's my recharging time, and mm-hmm. you know I, I like to go run with the athletes now and then too. But I, I love going and, and doing it myself. But if it was for me, who who would be the most motivational you know, people? You know my family. You know Heath and Jerem and, and Gary mm-hmm. and those guys. They're just amazing, inspiring you know guys. But to be honest with you, it's my wife. And uh, if it wasn't for her kind of pushing me to to uh, you get up in the morning and go train, and you you got a race coming up, you got to go, and I'm I. Bart, I don't like running at all, <laughs> but I do it. I do it because at the end of each of those runs is an amazing experience and an amazing journey. And 
you know, it's it's one of these things where if it wasn't for her, addict to athlete wouldn't exist. You know, if it wasn't for her, she's a recreational therapist, and so she gets these little uh, you know therapy sessions in by by our family recreating, and we don't know what's happening until it's over. And we're like, wait a minute, you tricked us into doing therapy. Uh, but I love it. But it really is her, and addict to athlete exists because of her, and. And it's opened up doors to, to meet guys like both of you. I mean, the very first time I met Josh, you know, Bart, mm-hmm. he was wearing a, uh, a a pilgrim outfit, chasing a turkey. And I, I thought, man, that guy's interesting. And I remember taking <laughs> pictures of you, not knowing that a few weeks later we'd be meeting each other yeah. and, 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 you know, it would end up like this. But you're <laughs> right, that running community here, we're very lucky. And, you know, everyone runs for their own reasons, their own purpose. And, and that mess that they have their life had become, that mess turns into a message and, and, and neat things happen out of those stories. But uh, Bart, I want to thank you for allowing us to come steal some of your time. And, and uh, you know, I wasn't quite knowing what to expect, but I appreciate you investing some of that, giving us some of this amazing advice. These, these athletes that I coach, they're going to eat this stuff up and uh, just, just admire all the work that you've done. I mean, we could probably go on for 20 more hours, all the stuff that you've been a part of, but I want to thank you. And for Josh, thanks for, thanks for connecting us all. So any final words as we wrap this up? Yeah, I just got to say thank you, Blue, for doing what you do and just keep it going because it is special and you know it's really it's it changes the the world on a global level. So it may happen right here in Salt Lake, but it has a global effect because it's a positive thing that goes on and people witness it. And with today's the way society is today, the way we share things on social media, Mm -hmm. it is global. So just one per you change that one person and they go out and say well how it's changed someone pays attention and uh so i congratulate you blue on what you're doing and i'm just happy you're doing it and please keep doing it i will you know just to piggyback off that real quick i once heard that each person has the capability of changing up to seventy thousand lives so one person that has a story that shares something has that capability of changing seventy thousand lives bart you've changed millions millions so Josh? Thank you. You know, yeah, just keep running and enjoy it, you know? I, I think that's really the, the, the parting words. Mm-hmm. You know, run to live, to love, to, to feel, and, um, and just be nice to everybody. You can just be nice. Yeah. 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 Say you hi. Know, because really, it's, that's how you change the world. So, mm-hmm. Josh, I just want to say one last thing about Joshua. Like, mm-hmm. it is so hard to go somewhere where you don't fit in. Mm. So when Joshua went to that first race, he didn't look like the 130-pound skinny dude that was up at the front of the line that yeah. was going to take off and run right. five-minute miles. Right. And that's the hardest thing. You know, I think of a drug addict going to do a 5K race, and they're thinking, <laughs> well, these are all runners. They're not drug addicts, but yeah. they don't know all the backstories. Mm-hmm. So we have to, when we break down those walls of intimidation yeah. and allow people to come out there. So I, I, I just encourage people, don't, just because you don't think you can do it or you don't think you fit that mold, don't let that be the judgment. Go out there and try to make change. Just give it a try. Just and I guarantee it. you the running community will take over and it'll, it'll be a positive experience. But it takes, that, it takes a lot of courage to do stuff where you don't feel you fit in. You're not like everyone else that's in this, whether it's a run or a race or whatever it is. So I, I admire what you did. Thank and, you. Uh, Thank you. That means a lot. That's, that's the message we really need to get out there. I agree 100%. 
Well, on behalf of Barry Asso and uh, Josh Hansen, Coach Blue here signing off. Go turn your mess into a message.